So uh, the sermon title may seem a, a little bit strange at first. What are backwards blessings? The last half, I think, probably pretty self-explanatory. We live in an upside-down world. I think most of us would probably agree with that as we look around. But in our scriptures today, we're going to see Jesus pronounce some blessings and some woes. And at first glance, they kind of seem reversed. Uh, when you see the blessings, you're like, well, that doesn't look like blessings. When you see the woes, you're like, well, that doesn't really like, look like woes. And that's because the fact is most considered blessings on earth in regards to humanism. Uh, whatever makes much of us is what is good, and whatever makes much of others is not, or God is not. Uh, but that's not how God's economy works. You know, a lot of people think, do what feels right, live for you, have it your way, all those kind of things. But, but God's economy works so much different in the world. And so let's j dive into the scriptures. We see what, what Jesus has to say to us today through his word. This is in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 17. We'll end in 26. And he came down, Jesus there, uh, with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. So, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this scripture. It is, it is difficult. It is a, a hard scripture to go through. Um, it's a hard scripture to, to get our minds around in a culture of individualism and, 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 and selfishness. To, to hear this type of word from you, God, is it, difficult. But God, help us to, to, to understand it through your Holy Spirit, as Brother Jim's already prayed. Help, help open up our minds and our hearts. God, I know that we have so much going on in our lives, things that we bring here, maybe things that happened this morning, things that happened this past week. There's so many things that we can be thinking about, things that are coming up this afternoon. It's great Mother's Day. We're so excited. But, but Lord, in the middle of this, may, may we realize that, that you are, our, although all of us have mothers, and that is great, and we need to be so thankful for them, and we need to uh, spend this day just really, really enjoying them as well. God, we know that you are our actual creator. Uh, you are who knit us together in our mother's womb. And so uh, may we make this day about you as well uh, as, as we consider how great that you are. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. Amen. All right, so as we begin today, I, wanna, I want us to understand one thing here right off the bat. So from, from verse 17 where we started here, going all the way to the end of Luke chapter 6, there is a huge parallel passage called the Sermon on the Mount that we see in Matthew 5 through 7. Now Matthew spends three chapters over 100 verses, whereas Luke is going to just spend the, this little bit uh, kind of giving that sermon. Um, Luke gives us, an, albeit abridged, 
sermon there. There are a few select commentators that may think these are two separate sermons. There's so much overlap and they're so similar. It's more likely that Luke just gives an abridged version. He already goes into a lot of detail and all the other stuff. Uh, he has the longest gospel, and so this is just more of an abridged version since Matthew had already written his gospel first. Uh, unfortunately, they've been called the Sermon on the Mount and Matthew and the Sermon on the Plain here, which kind of confuses people. They're like, well, aren't they two different sermons? Because you got one on the Mount, one on the Plain. Well, if we really look, this is the Sermon on the Mount as well. Jesus came down from where? The mountainside. So we just saw that last week. He's chosen his disciples. Uh, you know, he, he went on the mountain to, to pray, kind of in order to pray for that. And so he's probably on a plateau, a flat place at the bottom of the mountain as people listen to him. Uh, and we're going to see in these different accounts for the rest of chapter 6 that sometimes Luke's going to give us more information than Matthew does about a certain account, whereas other times Matthew will give us more information. So it's great to be able to put both Gospels in view as we interpret each one, and it helps us to see the corroborating evidence to give us the complete view of Scripture to help us to learn what God has for us. So with that in mind, we'll go ahead and get started, and we're going to, our first point here is Jesus gives hope to the hurting, hope to the hurting. I'm going to read, read verse 17 for us. Then he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre. Inside. So if you remember, two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus choosing the, the 12 apostles uh, as we looked, looked there. And now we see him come down to this level place at the base of the mountain, and there's a multitude that has gathered. A multitude is a lot of people. We're not just looking at like three or four, a little tiny group. This is a huge group of people. It shows that word had traveled rapidly throughout the area. I mean, people came all the way from even, even Tyre and Sidon, which were pagan Gentile areas that have come now to hear Jesus preach uh, and to be healed, as we see here as well. In verse 18 and 19, we see that they came, to, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. So they came to hear and be healed. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. That means demon possession. Uh, the people with demons were cast out, uh, or the, the de demons were cast out from them. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. So why were the people there? They were there to heal, to hear him and to be healed. And, and I think, why do we come to Jesus? I would argue it'd be for the same. And some of you are like, well, wait a minute. Now, you know, sounds like a, a healing gospel. It's like, no, we don't come for that. We at Crosspoint, we don't believe that Jesus is our genie. And whatever we ask, he's going to heal us this side of eternity and everything's going to be good like some false teachers assert. We believe firmly that he absolutely can heal anything at any time according to his will. And so we ask in faith, we believe that he can do anything at any time, but we've not been given any such promise of guaranteed absolute physical healing on this side of eternity. We see that Jesus healed as confirmation of his deity. He did miracles as confirmation of his deity. It was all about showing that he is God. But church, we need to understand that the most pressing disease, and, and sadly, as you listen to these false prosperity and healing gospel preachers, they're missing the main disease that needs healed. It, the, the main disease that needs healed is not cancer, which absolutely we pray for healing for cancer. That's, that's a huge healing. Uh, it's, it's not hypertension, diabetes, other things that we get. Those are bad things, and we would love to see Jesus heal, and he can and he does heal those things at times. But the main disease that people need healed and saved from is the disease of sin, brothers and sisters. And that's what you don't hear those guys preach. You don't hear that you are bad, <laughs> that you are evil, and you need 
a Savior. What we need to hear is that Jesus Christ, he has the words of eternal life. He is the, the way, the truth, and the life. And that by believing on him, being drawn by the Father, putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and repenting of our sins, that we can be saved. And that is the type of spiritual healing, healing that I can guarantee is 100%. That is one that you can name and claim in Jesus' name if you repent and believe in him that you will be saved. If the Father draws you and you respond to that drawing, that's a guarantee that is better than any guarantee in this universe. And that's the kind of healing that we should be seeking, church. That's the kind of people we should be listening to that are telling us, hey, that, that's the type of healing. We need, we need to deliver from sin. Because here's the thing, you can be healed from cancer and still go to hell. Right? You can be healed from diabetes or whatever it is, or you can have a broken bone that is healed or whatever that is, and it doesn't bring you any closer to God. Frankly, sometimes cancer is what leads you to God. Sometimes God's greatest gift to us are the adversities we face. Sometimes the, the, the greatest gifts are the relational struggles in our lives that just, like, Lord, can you take this away? Can you fix this? Can you help me and my child or, or me and my parent or me and my sibling get along better? Can you help me? But you know what that does? It drives you to your knees day after day. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. You know when things are going really good? When you're wealthy, when, and we're going to talk about that? Those are the times where you're sometimes the furthest from God. I was listening to, uh, to a guy talk. Um, uh, he was mentioning kind of back in like the 90s, there was this huge thing where you would look back at your life and talk about the spiritual peaks and valleys and you know, the high points of your life. And he said, you know, the problem with that was your spiritual growth was inverse. And so we, we looked at those spiritual peaks where we felt everything was great and our life was wonderful and we were so, you know, so, everything was going so good. And that was the time where you grew the least a lot of times. It was a time where you're in the depths and the mire and maybe you just fell and you did something awful and you did something stupid and, and, and you're, you've, you've repented and you're doing this. Whenever somebody, somebody really sinned against you badly and you're at this lowest point, that was when you saw that spiritual growth. Boom. And so may we not run from the hard things but may we appreciate them and thank the Lord for giving them to us. I, I love, um, so not only should we come to, come to him for healing, but also to hear him, to hear his word, to be in his word. I love Peter's confession after Jesus gives some hard teaching. Do y'all believe the Bible has some hard teaching? Amen, yeah. It's got some hard teaching when you read it. And so here's what, here's what Simon Peter says. Some disciples say, peace out, I'm gone, Jesus. He just got finished actually saying, unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you have no part in the kingdom of heaven. And these people have no spiritual understanding to get what he just said, and they're like, whoa, see you later, man. That's weird. Um, and so, so they're out, and Peter says this. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. May we not respond that way, church. May, may we respond that way. I pray that we do respond that way. And in the midst of this, we already mentioned that he casts out demon, demons. He shows his victory over hell and all those that are going there. <laughs> Uh, there. So Jesus gives hope and freedom to the hurting. Those who followed him were oftentimes the outcasts, the ones who were struggling, and yet Jesus was full of mercy and love for them. Next we see point two, Jesus gives encouragement to the engaged, encouragement to the engaged. And I pray this is us. We should be engaged. This should be us, church. So verse 20, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples, and he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So now we're going to get into the Beatitudes. Matthew gives nine of these. Luke, we'll see, gives four. And we're going to see how Matthew helps us understand those. But if you ever wondered where the word Beatitude came from, you won't find it in your English 
translation. You can read, read. You won't find it in your Greek translation either if you are somebody that reads Greek, uh, but you will find it in your Latin Vulgate translation. That's actually where it came from. It's beatitudo is the Latin word, um, which always makes me laugh because it wasn't really a spoken language, so, uh, or it's not a spoken language now, so how, how you pronounce it, that's guess what we're going with. Um, but, but Matthew's parallel version of this uh, really kind of helps us understand it a lot. It shows us the value of good hermeneutics. And we've mentioned that word in the past. It means the, the interpretation of Scripture. And, and how should we interpret Scripture? We should let Scripture interpret? Yeah, I mean, you all pay attention. Good job, church. So, so Scripture should interpret Scripture. That is the best way. Uh, should some guy who's got a bunch of letters after his name and what he says should it matter more than what Scripture says? No. No, Scripture interprets Scripture. Uh, God, he, there's not enough room to have how many letters he would have after his name. So I'm going with him on what he thinks. So, And before moving forward to, the, to getting into these and digging in, um, we got to look at everyone's beatitude starts with a certain word. And what is that word? Blessed. So what exactly does blessed mean? I mean, we use that word. I, I'm, I feel blessed or it's blessed. To this. Like pe people use that. And I pray that your English translation doesn't say happy. Some do, but today's modern English use of the word happy is, is really awful. I'll just be honest. Like people use it and it's just thrown around like a happy meal. You know what I mean? Like it's just very th th thrown around. It is not necessarily an incorrect translation, but it's probably not the best. Because the actual Greek word for, for blessed here or blessed is makarios, which means blessed, fortunate, privileged, or favored. I mean, you know, it, it's really a, a, a high word, not just a feeling. It's actually a state of being. Um, and, and that's important because we think of happy as this emotion, this feeling that's just like that. It's here. It's gone. I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm, you know, but blessed is a state of being. It is who you are. You are favored, privileged, fortunate. And think about those definitions as we go through these because you're going to think, that seems backwards. Like, I, I don't know if that's appropriate. Uh, it doesn't make sense here as we go through. So after he's cast out the demons, he's been healing, he's been doing all this great stuff, Jesus looks up at them, at his disciples, and he starts with these teachings. Then Luke chapter 20, verse, or the last half of that verse, says, Blessed are you uh, who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. That's a, that's a tough word. Blessed are you who are poor. Favored are you who are poor. Fortunate, actually, we call poor what? Unfortunate. Like, like all these are the less fortunate. Uh, we don't see them as, as fortunate. And so we look at this and we're like, well, what, what, is, what is he really meaning here? And, and one might argue that the poor are probably more fortunate in some ways because they realize their need for God. We just talked about how those struggles and, and the difficulties in life sometimes make us more, our eyes open to see God, to see that we need him. Whereas when we're wealthy, which we are in America, everyone here probably is wealthy compared to the people we're talking about, the shoeboxes that are getting the shoeboxes. We're not getting shoeboxes here, my friends. Like if you get a shoebox and it's got some stationery and it's not going to rev be revolutionary for your life probably in America, no matter how fortunate or unfortunate you are in America. But, but if we see that there probably is some advantage uh, to, to seeing God, to, feel, to seeing the need for God as poor, but that's not exactly what Luke is saying here, what Jesus is saying here. So we look at Matthew chapter 3, it fills in the gap. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So you put them together, blessed, is the poor in, blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. And th this shows us that we're talking about humility 
being exalted over pride. Because being poor in and of itself doesn't make you righteous. There's a lot of poor people that are going to hell that don't respond to God. But being poor in spirit means that you humble yourself before God. You see yourself like God sees you, and you understand that. But this term poor is probably more theological than economical in nature. Consider the psalmist in Psalm 40, verse 17. This is David. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Theologian Robert Stein asserts, this is written by David, who at the time is king, and none would really think the king is poor economically, but he saw himself poor theologically. He understood how he ranked compared to God. No matter, he might have been king, but God was the king of kings. So those who are poor in spirit recognize their need for God, and they see themselves as insufficient in and of themselves. They understand grace and mercy and their desperate need for it. It is those who humble themselves before God in repentance, realizing that they are so poor that they have a debt that is so high, and they are so poor that there is no way that they can meet that. And so they humble themselves before God, knowing that it's only by His finished work on the cross that we can be saved and not our own. Moving on to the next verse in verse 21, Luke says, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Again, Matthew gives us insight, because is it really blessed to be hungry? Uh, you know, that's not exactly the most fun thing to do. If you're hungry because of Christ, if you're persecuted because of that, it is a blessed, where we should count that blessed. But Matthew fills the sense saying, blessed are you, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So when you put those together, we, we see that it is hunger and thirst for, for righteousness is what makes you fortunate and favored and blessed. So those who are believers should continue to hunger for the bread of life, namely Jesus Christ and his word. And to do so means one is blessed. And at the end, we see, for they shall be what? Satisfied. And, and so what is that satisfied? That, that word satisfied actually is usually used at the end of a feast when you eat so much that you're just full and you're like, man, I can't anymore. I'm satisfied. I am, I'm done. That's, what, that's usually how this word is. But in this context, it's being filled with the fullness of God. Have you ever been satisfied in God? You just, you just took in so much. You're, you're maybe worshiping the Lord. You're praying, and you're just like, man, I don't need anything else. This is it. I, I pray that you have those experiences. I pray that we continue to, to realize how hungry and thirsty that we are for Jesus Christ. And I pray that we are. Sadly, I think sometimes because of all the things that we have here, as far as hunger for things, hunger for food, hunger for whatever it is, we've got all these other hungers instead of righteousness that we fill ourselves with junk food instead of the actual word of life. And I pray that we are hungry and thirsty for that. There is nothing more satisfying in this world than Jesus Christ. No money, no fame, no fortune, no pleasure, no vacation, no anything will give you that type of satisfaction. It is a lasting satisfaction that, that will fill you for all eternity, not just for a moment. Next we come to the second half here. It says, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And Matthew's parallel does help us a little bit here, too, uh, with blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Um, so when you kind of put those together, blessed are you who mourn and weep, for you shall laugh and be comforted. So the real question is, why, why is it blessed? Why are these believers we're talking about here, why are they blessed for mourning and weeping? And we kind of see that actually in the next verse when we see persecution that is coming against the church. 
Uh, and, and we see that it is raging against the church uh, throughout our history. And so why are they blessed? And it says because God will comfort them and then give them laughter or joy. Uh, and we see this in Revelation 7, 17, talking about martyrs. For, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. How amazing is that, church? He will wipe away all of our tears. So he promised to comfort all believers who suffer for his name's sake. And he also promises laughter for them. That's a sign of joy and freedom. You, you laugh when you're not concerned about anything else, right? When you laugh, you're not worried about your water bill. You're not worried about your electric bill. You're not worried about your car. You're not worried about anything. You're just laughing, and it, you know, everything else falls. You know, you're just, you're just lighthearted. You're, you're, having, you're having fun. You're laughing. We see Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. We, what a blessed hope and promise we have in that. My friends, when you look at your life right now, it may be pretty tough. You may be mourning. Maybe it's because of persecution. Less likely in our culture. You might have some persecution from family, things like that. I'm not, not saying we don't have persecution. We do get persecuted here. It just looks a little different, obviously, than China or somewhere like that. But you may be suffering because of ailing health, family issues, relational issues. You know, you, you, might, you might have a health thing yourself, something like that's really bothering you. Brothers and sisters, we have a promise that one day all that suffering is going to be removed. How beautiful is that? The tears will be wiped away, and we'll have laughter and joy for all eternity. Praise God for that promise. So John MacArthur says these first three Beatitudes are how the believer sees themselves, or see, sees himself. Um, but when we look at this last one, it's how the world sees the believer. So let's look at Luke 6, 22 through 23. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Parallel is very similar in Matthew 5.11 uh, when we're looking. So, uh, blessed are you when people hate you. What a saying, Jesus. Blessed are you when people hate you. Like, that, that's pretty tough. That is a, leave it to Jesus to give a tough word like this. Blessed are you when people hate you. I, I seriously doubt you will hear that preached from a lot of prosperity gospel preachers. It's probably not going to be said. But I want to I take one note here, and I think there's a little thing before we get into what this really means about what it doesn't mean. Some people are hated because they're jerks. I'm just going to be straight. Some people are hated because they're jerks, and if I might be so forward here, don't be a jerk. I, I'm just going to give an admonition, don't be a jerk. Uh, sadly, I feel like in conservative circles, there's become this persona, especially in politics, that being a jerk's okay. You can just be a punk. And that is fine. And, and the scriptures do not condone that. Uh, you, you don't do things that are hateful. You don't live in a hate-filled way and then take pride in that. And friends, we, we are to be light, not dynamite. Th those are two different different things. So I want you to maybe get a shirt that says, I, I want to be light, not dynamite. That's, that's maybe a, a good thing to do. We don't just go around blowing up places. We go with the light of Christ, which leads them there. But to be hated because you stand for the gospel is a blessing. That is, that, that is a blessing according to God. And actually, verse 23 says that there is a great reward for those who are hated and persecuted on behalf of Christ. You actually are blessed to get to share in the suffering of the prophets. 
In Acts chapter 6, the apostles have been arrested and put into prison by the religious leaders. An angel actually opens the prison doors. They go back right out and start preaching the gospel again. Obviously, the religious leaders are not a fan of them at this point, and, and they end up having them beaten and flogged and say, don't do it anymore. Don't do it anymore. And at this point, I guess they're like, well, we can't really keep them in. The angel let them out. So they let them go. And it says this in Acts 5, 41 through 42. And they, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple from, and from house to house, they did not seek teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They left rejoicing. And they, did they stop preaching the gospel? No, actually they did so more and more. And the gospel spread even more so. And we're gonna, we're, I'm going to speak a little bit about this here in just a moment. But no, the persecution is likely going to heat up in our nation. It's probably not going to dial down. It's probably going to dial up. And I pray that we're ready to stand firm, knowing that our reward is in heaven with Christ, that he will help us persevere. So, so far we've seen Jesus gives hope to the hurting, encouragement to the engaged, and now we're going to see him turn and address those who are against him. And the final point, point Jesus gives warning to the warring. Warning to the warring. Say that three times fast. It's kind of hard. Um, so Luke 6, 24, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. So now starts the, the four woes which are distinct to Luke's gospel. Matthew doesn't mention these. And uh, they're, in, they're in exact stark contrast to the four blesseds we just saw. And so we really needed to understand what the word blessed meant to understand the Beatitudes. Well, now we really need to understand what the word woe means to understand the woes. And the, the Greek word for woe is ooey, which just sounds bad. Um, ooey, it's like ooey. You know I mean? It's just kind of like one of those. And, and it refers to disaster, judgment, and horror. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty tough uh, word. It's not, not a friendly word. The disaster coming on unbelievers will make horror movies seem less scary, friends. Our first woe is, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Again, when taking this in step with poor in spirit, as we interpreted the first one, we see that this isn't necessarily being rich being the curse, but seeing yourself as prideful and haughty is what is being hit here. Uh, Albeit there are many verses in Scripture warning and admonishing the rich, the rich sometimes fall into many traps of temptation. They seek to be self-sufficient. They don't see their need for Christ. I was just talking with a, a, a missionary friend of mine uh, yesterday, and we were talking about how hard Putnam County is to reach with the gospel. And the problem is we're rich. People in Putnam County, they're, 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 uh, they're rich. I mean, even our poorest are, are rich. You know, and, and, and sadly, we're like, well, I'm not rich. I'm not rich. I'm not rich as that person but we have very few people that just need anything, like that, that need a meal. Like we have very few people in this county that are going without, one, without a meal, going the whole day without a meal. You know, you go, you go to the streets somewhere, sometimes in Huntington or Charleston, sometimes you'll see more of that, you know, more homeless people, things like that here. We just don't see it that much. And people don't see themselves as needing anything. Why do they need God? They're already happy. But I mean, God, they've already got a home, they've got this, they've got that, they're going on vacation, they've got these things, they've got family. Why do they need God? And, and sadly, that makes it hard to reach our people here. And we have to really help point out that they're really poor, that they really are not as happy as they think they are, and, and that the satisfaction that they're trying to find in all these things continues to pass away time and time again. 
Now, being rich in itself is not sinful. Uh, we actually see a great many wealthy and righteous people in the Bible, like Abraham, Job, Nicodemus, Joseph, Arimathea, others who were strong believers or strong followers of God. But this verse is more about those who are rich in themselves. And, and, and I would argue, even in our state and our culture and our nation, that even more so than our, our financial richness, that yes, we are a prosperous nation in general, um, but we are individualistic in our richness. Like, we are self-sufficient. Uh, we don't need anybody else. We don't ask for help. And so that richness that we are God in and of ourselves, that we don't need anyone else, we don't need to ask for anything, it's arrogant, it's haughty, and, and it's something that, that's infused in our, in our nation with our independence from Great Britain. We also have seemingly taken the independence from God. We don't need God. We may put God in our life, and, and, but, but we don't need God as a culture. And it, it's, it's unfortunate, it's sad, and we need to let people know that we cannot live independently from God because eternal judgment awaits those who do. And these people that have found this consolation, which the other word for that is comfort, they may feel comfortable now. You know, what, what's the, uh, the chief end of man in America to get to the point where you're comfortable? to make sure you have enough in your retirement account, to make sure that your couch is comfortable, your house is comfortable, your temperature is comfortable. That's our God. That's what we seek. So we, don't, so we know we always have enough money to pay for bills three years from now, ten years from now. That's it. Well, brothers and sisters, our, our comfort on this side of eternity will be burned up. It doesn't last. The money doesn't last. The house doesn't last. The retirement account doesn't last. I'm not saying it's not wise to, to save for retirement and those kind of things, but if that's where we find ourselves rich, that's where we find ourselves uh, self-reliant. And my friends, blessed are the poor in spirit who humble themselves before God and know that he is who we need for our daily bread. He's who we need for everything. Uh, the next two woes I'm going to address kind of together, um, back to back here. Woe number, uh, I'll go ahead and read the verse. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. So this first one is, woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. This verse is th those who think they have no need for the things of God and the Word of God. It, it's archaic, you know, this is not 21st century. I don't need the philosophy of this because I've got the philosophies today. I, 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 we, we have gotten way beyond the outdating, outdated things here. And then, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Some people show up to life and they think it's just one long party. Like, it's all about fun. It's all about them. They just think about how they can gratify the desires of the flesh. And these people are foolish in their whimsical lives. Uh, they, they won't mourn with those who mourn. They don't mourn over their sinfulness and the depravity of their hearts. But they will mourn for all eternity. Sadly, that will be what, what will happen. They are called hedonists. And this is also something in our culture. Hedonism refers to those who place pleasure as their ultimate goal in life. If it doesn't bring you pleasure, don't do it. And so nothing else matters. And this sad and selfish way of living is becoming more and more common in our culture today. So what does the Bible say about hedonism, about just seeking whatever makes you feel good? Well, Galatians 5, 6, we see, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See here that the desires of the flesh are diametrically opposed to the Christian life. And Romans eight thirteen sums it up even better. It says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
That's a tough word. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to, de- to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And finally, we come to our last woe, which is directed toward the people pleasers of the world. In Luke six twenty six, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. This one's tough. We kind of like people to like us. You know, I'm not saying we need to, like we said before, don't be a jerk just so people don't like you. So you can be like, oh, I'm following scriptures. Like that, that's not, that's not what it says. But don't say what people want you to hear. Here, oh, this is our last one. Don't, don't, don't say what you think people want you to hear. Say what is true. That's what we're here. Don't, don't say what people want you to hear, what you think people want to hear you say, but say what is, it is truth. Think about Jeremiah. If we, if we look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a, a prophet in the Old Testament called the weeping prophet because nobody would listen to him. And so he's telling Judah, hey, you need to repent. The judgment of God is coming. Well, the false prophets are saying, don't worry about it. It's all good. Actually, in Jeremiah 8, 8, 11, we see the, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. That healing the wound lightly means just kind of putting a fake balm over it. It's not real. It's not, it's not healing. And who do you think they listened to, Jeremiah or the false prophets? False prophets, because they said what they wanted to hear. And Jeremiah, being a true prophet, continued to call out the idolatry Judah had continued basking in, and he suffered for it. His message was not heeded, and he was treated harshly. And my friends, there's, there's coming a day, most likely, I pray it's a long way away, but there's coming a day when my sermons are going to be canceled. What I say is going to be taken off the Internet, what we, how we meet publicly here may change. When I speak on topics such as abortion or sexuality, there's going to be a time where it's no longer tolerated. And there's likely coming a day where what you stand for is not going to be tolerated as well. We already see in Canada that there are pastors thrown into prison for not bowing their knee to progressive and anti-biblical ideologies. But we know it's not going to just limit the pastors alone. It's going to be something that falls on all of us. But I pray that we don't fear that we're willing to stand firm, continue to speak the truth like Jeremiah did, continue to live for the Lord, because you know what? We know that his reward is great. We don't live for rewards here. We live for our great reward coming. Hebrews eleven six, which we actually memorized in growth group, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So it's come to a close. I, I pray you can identify in the first two points of this section that he has given hope to you when you were hurting and given encouragement to you and continues to give encouragement to you as you engage living this life for him. Our Savior is good and holy. But if you've not placed your faith in Christ, if you're still a warring soul against Christ, I pray that you respond with humility and repentance because he is gracious and merciful and ready to forgive. If you've not done so, I'd love to talk to you after the service about that. What a Savior we have, friends. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this hard word. Lord God, uh, it doesn't always seem like a blessing to be called blessed. And sometimes those woes seem a lot more fun. What comes natural to us is to do the wrong things. and Sometimes we do. And I, I just pray that we repent as a church for the times where we have been self-reliant. The times where we've hungered and thirsted for things other than you more than we've hungered and thirsted for your word and for you, yourself. 
the things we've tried to find satisfaction in the things of this world and not in you and you alone, Lord. May we be a church that is satisfied in you, that desires nothing more than you, that, that loves you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, as we talked about today in growth group as well. May we not have any other gods before you. May we not covet others. And God, may we be pure and undefiled. May we continue crucifying the flesh, continue dying to the flesh, and living in the Spirit. We know we can only do that with your Holy Spirit. It's not something that we can do on our own. This is not a message saying, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do better. This is a message saying, we are poor in spirit. And may we live our lives poor in spirit, humble before you, knowing that we have nothing to bring, but you've done it all. And you can continue to sanctify us and make us more like you. Help us go throughout this week, living for you, sharing the gospel and the hope uh, with others around us. Lord, may you start working on the hearts of those around us, those who think that they are rich, whether it's what they have or, or in their independence from you. May you help to reveal to them that they need a Savior. And may we see revival in Putnam County. May we see people in Putnam County realize that they are not rich, that they are poor and pitiful and blind without you. Those who are not yours, may you start to draw and, and break their hearts of stone, and may, may we see them given a heart of flesh, and may we be your hands and feet and your, your, your voice to share the gospel with them. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you, and help us to continue glorifying you, and amen.